It's Monday, June 27th, 2022. I'm Jackson Bird. Today, do groups of friends all smell alike? Plus, an astonishingly well-preserved 30,000-year-old woolly mammoth baby was just discovered. And we finally have photographic evidence of that mysterious rocket stage that hit the moon in March. Here's some cool stuff for your ride home. What is the measure of a friendship? Is it sharing similar interests, values, a compatible sense of humor, an established sense of trust with one another? Or is it simply smelling the same? A new study published recently in the journal Science Advances suggests it could be the latter. Researchers from the Wiseman Institute of Science in Israel conducted a study showing that, at least for their smaller sample size, friends tend to smell like each other and that it probably occurs because we self-select people that smell like us from the beginning, not because our scents change over the course of a friendship. Or, as Scientific American put it, we hairless hominins may not be so different from dogs, rodents, and non-human primates as we like to think. And that we humans subconsciously rely on the sense of smell to suss one another out is a long-standing thought with a fair amount of evidence to back it up in different directions. You know, think about how much you hear about pheromones when it comes to romantic attraction. So, neuroscience grad student Inbal Ravrabi hypothesized that scent may be one of the many factors contributing to how we pick friends. To build her sample, Ravrabi recruited same-gender, non-romantic friends who had become friends very quickly. BFFs at first sight, essentially, and collected body odor samples from the friends. Quoting Scientific American, For three days, participants gave up scented soaps, garlic, and anything else that might alter their body odor, and each wore a cotton t-shirt to bed to capture their scent. The stinky shirts were handed over to a chemical sensing device called an electronic nose, which used an array of sensors to measure the chemical difference in the body odors of the members of each pair. The researchers found that twosomes who clicked with each other when they met had more similar scents, compared with randomly selected pairs of other people in the study. And to compare the electronic nose to what humans actually detect, a team of designated smellers also tested scent similarity. When sniffing body odor samples, the human smellers ranked each scent in intensity, pleasantness, and another three categories. And overall, the pairs of fast friends had more similar smell rankings than the coupled strangers. The human Human Smell Squad also reported that click friends, when sniffed side by side, had more similar body odors than strangers, showing that the closeness in these smells was present in how people perceived them, not just the chemistry detected by the electronic nose. End quote. But to investigate the second part of the hypothesis, whether friends start smelling alike because they, for example, eat the same foods and engage in the same activities together, or if they smell alike to start with and that's part of what draws them to one another, Raverby and her team used the electronic nose to smell a group of strangers and then instructed them on a nonverbal social game to play with one another. Quoting Science Daily, after each such structured interaction, the participants rated the other individual in terms of how much they liked that person and how likely they were to become friends. Subsequent analysis revealed that the individuals who had more positive interactions indeed smelled more like each other, as determined by the E-nose. In fact, when Raverby and statistician Dr. Kobe Snitz entered the data into a computational model, they were able to predict with 71% accuracy which two individuals would have a positive social interaction 
interaction based on e-nose data alone. In other words, body odor appears to contain information that can predict the quality of social interactions between strangers. End quote. Now, Dr. Noam Sobel cautions that scent is likely just one of many, many factors that go into humans' social decision-making, but it is surprising just how big of a role it plays. And what the study doesn't say yet is why that may be. Quoting The Economist, Other qualities correlated with being friends, including age, appearance, education, religion, and race, are either immediately obvious or rapidly become so. But while some individuals have strong and noticeable body odor, many, at least since the use of soap has become widespread, do not. It is present, but it's subliminal. Dr. Raverby speculates that there may be an evolutionary advantage in having friends that are genetically similar to us. Body odor is known to be linked with genetic makeup, particularly with the genes underlying part of the immune system called the major histocompatibility complex. Smelling others may thus allow subconscious inferences about genetic similarity to be drawn. That still, however, does not quite answer the question. Dr. Raverby speculates that odor matching of this sort may be an extended form of kin selection, which spreads an individual's genes collaterally by helping the reproduction of relatives who are likely to share them. If those who smell similar are kin enough for this to apply, their children will be as well. So, by helping friends, Dr. Raverby offers, we help spread our own genes, end quote. So the way that you smell is kind of like an evolutionary wingman. Another day, another very cool discovery in the decidedly less cool warming permafrost. But this time, the discovery has been made in North America, specifically on the traditional territory of the Trondek Wichin people. And the discovery, made by a gold miner in Eureka Creek in Yukon, was of a nearly complete mummified baby woolly mammoth complete with skin and hair. It is the most complete mummified mammoth ever discovered in North America, and it's actually pretty astonishing seeing the photos, which just about look like a ill but sleeping baby elephant. You have to remind yourself that this is a 30,000-year-old woolly mammoth. The mummified mammoth, who is thought to have been just over a month old at the time of death, has been named Nunchoka, which means big baby animal in the Han language. Quoting Science Alert, the frozen mammoth was discovered by geologists after a young miner in the Klondike goldfields found the remains while digging up muck. The baby mammoth was probably with her mother, but it ventured off a little too far and got stuck in the mud, Yukon government paleontologist Grant Zazula told the Weather Channel. Professor Dan Shugar from the University of Calgary, part of the team who excavated the woolly mammoth, said that this discovery was the most exciting scientific thing I have ever been a part of. He described how immaculately the mammoth had been preserved saying that it still had intact toenails, hide, hair, trunk, and even intestines with its last meal of grass still present, end quote. In a press release, the Yukon government and Trondek Wetchin leaders said they are working together both to learn more and respectfully preserve Nunchoga. Trondek Wetchin elder Peggy Cormendi said, quote, It's amazing. It took my breath away when they removed the tarp. We must all treat it with respect. When that happens, it's going to be powerful and we will heal. We must as a people. End quote. While paleontologist Zazula added, quote, As an Ice Age paleontologist, it has been one of my lifelong dreams to come face to face with a real woolly mammoth. That dream came true today. Nunchoga is beautiful and one of the most incredible mummified Ice Age animals ever discovered in the world. 
end quote. And that's true. Nunchoga's age and the amount of her body that's been preserved are both remarkable, globally and especially in terms of North America. Quoting CBS News, Other similar finds have been made in Alaska, where a partial mammoth calf named Effie was discovered in 1948, and in 2007, a 42,000-year-old infant mummy woolly mammoth named Layuba was found in Siberia. Nunchoga is about the same size as Layuba. End quote. Apart from the discovery having been made near the aptly named Eureka Creek, there are other parts of the discovery that come off as almost kismet. Quoting The Guardian, the call from the mining company came in on a statutory holiday in the territory, leaving Zazula scrambling to track down someone in the area who could hastily travel to the site to recover the find. He eventually tracked down two geologists in the region. And the amazing thing is, within an hour of them being there to do the work, the sky opened up. It turned black, lightning started striking, and rain started pouring in, said Zazula. So if she wasn't recovered at that time, she would have been lost in the storm. End quote. As Trondek Wetchin Chief Roberta Joseph put it, quote, Nunchoga has chosen to reveal herself to all of us. End quote. Remember this spring when I told you about a rocket stage that was going to crash into the moon? At first, SpaceX was blamed for the Rogue Booster, allegedly a piece of debris left over from its Falcon rocket that launched the U.S. Deep Space Climate Observatory in 2015. But the assessment was later revised to pass the buck to China's 2014 lunar mission. NASA agreed with independent astronomer Bill Gray and others on this, but China has denied that it came from them, and to date, no one has taken responsibility for this booster that was on a path to hit the moon. And hit the moon it did, as predicted, on March 4th, making it the first human-made object to unintentionally crash into the moon. And while we still don't know who was responsible for the rocket stage, we do finally have images of the aftermath. Our images of the moon come from NASA's Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiter, and it took until now for us to get them because, as was known at the time, the location of the impact was on the opposite side of the moon from the orbiting camera's position at the time of impact. But now, we have photographic evidence of the booster having hit the moon, and we got another surprise. Instead of the expected single crater caused by the projectile, there are two. NASA says that the double crater, quote, may indicate that the rocket body had large masses at each end. Typically, a spent rocket has mass concentrated at the motor end. The rest of the rocket stage mainly consists of an empty fuel tank. Since the origin of the rocket body remains uncertain, the double nature of the crater may indicate its identity. End quote. And we know this is unusual because while this was the first rocket body to make impact with the moon on accident, NASA has intentionally sent rocket stages to the moon back during the Apollo program to assess what would happen if they crashed into it and use seismic data to learn more about the lunar interior. But in all of those cases, the rocket body's impacts resulted in larger, individual craters. According Science Alert, double craters are not impossible to create, especially if an object hits at a low angle, but that doesn't seem to be the case here. Astronomer Bill Gray, who first discovered the object and predicted its lunar demise back in January, explains that the booster came in at about 15 degrees from vertical, so that's not the explanation for this one. The impact site consists of an 18-meter-wide eastern crater superimposed on a 16-meter-wide western crater." End quote. 
While we still have some mysteries to uncover here, like if the rocket stage really did come from China's Chang'e 5T1 or why it resulted in two craters, Science Alert points out that it's pretty remarkable how quickly we were even able to find evidence of the impact. The Apollo 16 S4B impact took six years to find, and again, that one was done on purpose with lots of careful planning. This mystery rocket stage's resulting twin craters were found within a matter of months. It's definitely a good thing that we're getting better at spotting this sort of thing, the crater as well as the rogue rocket stage itself, because as CNN reminds us, quote, no agencies systematically track space debris so far away from Earth, and the confusion over the origin of the rocket stage has underscored the need for official agencies to monitor deep space junk more closely, rather than relying on the limited resources of private individuals and academics. However, experts say that the bigger challenge is the space debris in low Earth orbit, an area where it can collide with functioning satellites, create more junk, and threaten human life on crewed spacecraft. There are at least 26,000 pieces of space junk orbiting Earth that are the size of a softball or larger, and could destroy a satellite on impact. Over 500,000 objects the size of a marble, big enough to cause damage to spacecraft or satellites, and over 100 million pieces the size of a grain of salt, tiny debris that could nonetheless puncture a spacesuit, according to a NASA report issued last year." End quote. Space debris is becoming such a big issue that even For All Mankind was inspired to tackle the topic in their alternate history series for their most recent season. Humans, what will we not turn to trash if given the opportunity? Alan Rickman's personal diaries are hitting bookshelves this October. Madly Deeply, the diaries of Alan Rickman will be an edited collection of 27 volumes of his diaries that he wrote over the last 25 years of his life, beginning in the early 90s. Now, I always feel a bit wary about posthumous publications, but it's said that Rickman always wanted to publish his diaries, and his partner of over 50 years, Rima Horton, has been involved with the project, even writing the afterword of the book, sort of Gene Wilder and Gilda Radner style. The book will also have an introduction written by Kate Winslet. Editor Alan Taylor says Rickman's diaries include his thoughts on politics, reviews of plays that he saw, stories about his friends, and some behind-the-scenes details of the projects he worked on, which during that time span would have included Love Actually, Sense and Sensibility, Galaxy Quest, and the Harry Potter movies. So if you are a fan of Rickman's, it'll probably be a pretty fascinating read. And again, that comes out this October the 18th. But that is going to be it from me for today. This show was produced by Ride Home Media. I'm Jackson Bird, and I'll talk to you again tomorrow.